Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Happy Confident Company, who provide clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programs to help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. Visit www.happyconfident.com to find out more. Enjoy the podcast. This programme has been brought to you by the Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio, The Late Show with Mr B. Teach. Uh, who will be joining us imminently just before he does. Thank you very much for clicking play on this if you're listening back to it. Uh, This show is brought to you by the Happy Confident Company. Uh, They offer clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programmes which can help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. Really recommend checking them out on the website, happy, sorry, www.happyconfident.com dot com um well worth checking out and uh yeah if you're interested in well-being across a whole school then um they're a fantastic company to to look at just going to invite john in now and then we will get started um hello welcome to the late show with uh, me john b it's uh, lovely to be back after uh two weeks and uh, i am so excited tonight to uh, introduce someone who uh, I've had the pleasure to work with and um, learn lots from uh, to do with maths and you know things outside of the the world of maths as well. Um, I'm so proud to introduce Kate Henschel who's going to um, be joining us tonight and speaking with us. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to uh, ask if Kate can uh, join us and just kind of give us uh, an introduction, a little flavour into her experiences, an overview of your career, Kate, and um, kind of everything that you're you're involved with at the moment. Hi, Kate. Hi, John. Lovely to to speak with you and and thank you for welcoming me on tonight's show. Um, Yeah, I feel like that's quite a simple question but actually probably could go on for quite a long time um so this year my role is head of school improvement for primary maths and that's based within trinity multi-academy trust and within that we have an external initiatives branch which is outward facing um and in that kind of team sits numerous organizations i'm not sure i'm allowed to mention them or promote them this evening um but they'll be very well known and part of my role is looking at um, supporting schools, thinking about how they can improve mathematics. Um, a, kind of one of the large projects that we're involved with this morning, this morning, this year, is supporting a local authority um, with schools and looking again at how they can improve mathematics. Um, and I suppose previously to that, really, my career started um, as a teacher in the classroom up in the northeast, so very close to where you are. Um, and just had a love of maths whilst I was working up there, gradually became a maths subject leader and then embarked on looking at teaching for mastery and was very fortunate that I could go and work with schools and support them to develop teaching for mastery. 
and really wanted to focus on that full time and that's what brought me back home to Yorkshire and there's an opportunity where I could do that um, and was very fortunate that that yeah that's kind of where the journey took me I suppose don't know if that was enough information but yeah short but sweet maybe <laughs> I was just about to introduce a, a new segment on um, what I was going to call desert island desks and it kind of came to me when I was listening to um, the radio a, a few weeks ago about kind of you know which which songs would people take to an island with them and I was thinking what kind of three things would I take uh, to a, to an island as a teacher what are kind of my three absolute fundamentals and uh, I guess what I came up with um, my my top three would be um, uh, number one would be uh, obviously something linked with maths because it, it's it's really my passion um, would be perhaps a wreck and wreck uh, to take with me um, uh, number two would be uh, a whiteboard marker pen, although I guess I am assuming that I would take uh, a, a huge whiteboard with me and actually there would be people on a desert island to teach, but there we are. And the third one would be um, a copy of uh, one of my favourite books and uh, I'm assuming I'm going here at Christmas time, it would be A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Now Kate, I'm hoping that you've managed to get a little closer to um, your Wi-Fi and I'm going to ask the same question to you. Um, in the section now I'd like to call Desert Island Desks, what three things would you take on uh, your teacher Desert Island if you could? Um, yeah, really good question. Hopefully you can hear me a little bit. We can hear you. Is that easy now? <laughs> Thanks. Oh, perfect. Um, so I think I would definitely take something to um, play with, something mathsy. Um, I know that sounds really geeky, but I quite often have something on my desk that is quite a useful distraction. So I'd probably take something like that. At the moment, I've got a, a wooden tangram. So that kind of keeps me occupied when I'm trying to figure something out or just have a bit of a, a break. Mm -hmm. um, I'd take a book. Um, you know, I vary from reading books which I think would enhance my career and my knowledge and my expertise, but then also I do quite like a bit of a trashy novel, um, you know, depend, <laughs> depending on where I'm going on holiday. Um, at the moment, I'm just about to read um, I Can't Do Maths by Alf Cole, so I think that would probably go in my suitcase. And then, oh, the third one, that's a really tricky one. I'm not not quite sure what that would that would be really maybe something to write to write down with and to doodle and yeah to kind of again keep me occupied uh yeah no i'm with you with the geeky um gimmicks and everything kids um my number one i don't know if you could hear but it was actually a wreck and wreck which <laughs> <laughs> which I guess um, is the most exciting. But actually, you know, I, I was saying, I'm assuming that there's going to be people who um, could be there to teach and yeah, all the rest of it. Yeah, a really just a, a, a little warm-up question, I suppose. Um, just before we dive in then with kind of um, the theme of this evening and what we're going to be um, talking about, I'm just going to bring a message from our sponsors. So this program is brought to you by the Happy Confident Company. Their clinically approved, ready to go wellbeing and mental health program will help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. You'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit them at www.happyconfident.com. Okay, let's dive in, Kate. Um, so, uh, I mentioned when we've been talking prior to the show, when we were kind of getting ready for it, that it was going to be really math focused to fit in with um, your experiences uh, and your career. So um, I guess question one really is around um, 
what you think the, the, the key features of an effective national curriculum um, are with maths? Yeah, so is that, are you thinking like our current national curriculum? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, for me, whenever I'm working with teachers or I'm thinking about the national curriculum, it might sound really obvious, but I do always go back to the three aims of the national curriculum. I think quite often as a classroom teacher, I would really just focus on the objectives of my year group, but then, mm. and, you know, and would quite often avoid the other aspects of, of what was in the national curriculum document. So I do try and take anyone that I'm working with back to those three aims and really encourage them to focus on unpicking what those aims are. You know, if you think about mm -hmm. this one talks about become um, become fluent in the fundamentals of mathematics. And I think within that, it talks about conceptual understanding. And then it also talks about that ability to recall and apply knowledge rapidly. And I think mm -hmm. quite often there can be a bit of a misconception that fluency does just mean that procedural knowledge and that ability to rapidly recall facts. And I think... I think also on the flip side, sometimes teachers might, particularly with teaching for mastery in the way that things have developed over the past few years, there might be an over-reliance on conceptual understanding. And I think it's really about that balance, isn't it? That we've got the conceptual understanding, but there's also, you know, children also have those facts that they can recall rapidly, which will help them with, you know, more trickier problems as they progress through mm -hmm. school. So, yeah, encouraging teachers to look at that particular aim. And then I think also that second aim where we're talking about reason mathematically, teachers know that reasoning is a key focus of, of mathematics and they know it's important. But again, when you when you really drill down into what what's being asked of you, it's really quite challenging. You know, it talks about following a line of inquiry. And again, I think sometimes there's that tendency to rush through the curriculum and we've got so much to cover it. Do we actually allow enough time for children to follow mm -hmm. a line of inquiry and, mm -hmm. and, you know, see that maths is curious, there's lots to it, there's, and they can collaborate. And I think, yeah, I think for me, I, I always really come back to that middle one about reason mathematically. And then, you know, likewise, it talks about, conjecture relationships and making generalizations and I think that is something that I know when I was starting off in my career I probably wouldn't have okay your wi-fi is dropping again I'm afraid I don't, skill, John, I I don't know whether you can hear okay your end in on it whereas now I really you know when I'm teaching a maths lesson I, th I think what is, is it that children are going conjecturing this okay thanks Kate um some some really good you're dropping out just a little bit I don't know if you can get a little closer to your wi-fi but um I'll just pick up on some of the points that you made there you mentioned about the um 
the kind of the question was about the national curriculum and the key features um you talked really well there about fluency and reason and problem solving um i mean you and i had both, both been teaching long enough i guess to remember um only just mind to remember what the previous national curriculum were like i actually can distinctly recall at the start of my career um kind of doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of everything in between and then on friday we did problem solving math and then as and, and kind of I, I guess one of the issues with that is um we would be in a position where um the children would think well on a on a friday i solve problems but monday tuesday wednesday thursday i don't necessarily um solve problems um it might be that was focused on fluency and i guess um my, my next question kate if you can get a, a little closer to your wi-fi if possible um is around kind of um, the impact that you think those three aims have had from the national curriculum, because although they're not new aims, and I think, you know, fluency, reasoning and problem solving, making generalisations uh, were in the, the previous curriculum, um, really it's about how, what is it about the design of the curriculum now um, that allows us to, um, I suppose, interweave them? I wonder if you had any thoughts on that. I think Kate's just gone to try and sort her Wi-Fi out. <laughs> so it might be a good time for me to say welcome, everybody, and thanks for listening. So uh, we've got Lou, who I think potentially is a maths teacher in Wales, but my Welsh isn't as good as it used to be, so who knows. Um, Hannah, year six teacher in Madrid. Welcome, Hannah. Thanks for listening to this. Uh, Daniel as well. Uh, welcome. Welcome to TTR. Um, I'll just bring Kate back in now and we'll hope for the best that we can speak to her. Thank you. Hi, Kate. Hopefully you can hear me and hopefully you've managed to get uh, reconnected there. I was just kind of speaking up your, your previous point um, and kind of the question was around the key features of the national curriculum for maths. And you mentioned there about fluency, reason and problem solving. And while they're um, th those kind of those concepts, those aims of the curriculum were built into the previous uh, national curriculum. I was just saying, we're kind of um, just about old enough to remember um, what the last uh, national curriculum looks like uh, and what the aims were there. But I wonder um, what your thoughts were about um, why the changes were made to the curriculum and, and kind of what impact that's had on the way in which we teach maths. Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I think changes were made and I think at the time it, it felt like the, the changes were quite challenging. Um, mm. I don't know whether you would would agree with that, John, but... I think what I was saying, Kate, and I don't know about you, but I can distinctly remember standing in my classroom on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and kind of cracking on with the maths lesson. And then suddenly Friday rocked around and I was doing problem solving Friday <laughs> as though yeah. we only ever solved problems on a Friday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can remember those vividly those as well. Um yeah. So I think, I think with the changes, I guess my question is around um, what do you think the shift has been with the national curriculum that has brought this this real focus on fluency, reasoning and problem solving generalisations, which isn't kind of Monday's fluency, <laughs> Tuesday's reasoning and then Friday we suddenly solve problems. What is it about this curriculum that makes it quite interwoven and connected? 
I think it's just putting those at the forefront, isn't it? And having that that equal waiting and, and like you said, not waiting until the end of the week to solve problems. You know, problem solving is a really integral part of the curriculum and, you know, it should be within every single lesson and, and that's what the curriculum's aiming to do, isn't it? It's, it's actually to make children really well-rounded mathematicians and experts in their subject and, and not just human computers that can, you know, answer simple questions really I suppose mm -hmm, mm -hmm. absolutely and I think um it, you know it's a distant memory now it seems like so long ago with the old curriculum <laughs> but actually the 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 aims um are really kind of noble aims really you know we want children to be fluent we want children to be able to reason we want children to be able to solve problems um okay so kind of let's start and focus this in a little bit we've we spoke about kind of the national curriculum some of the changes that are attached to that um how can we we know there's lots of well-known resources out there um my question is around kind of um how can teachers use resources to support the teaching of mathematics i think it's about knowing what resource you want to and how you want it to support you so you know is it from a day-to-day -day teaching perspective of being able to plan lessons um, you know there's really well-known schemes out there which, which offer lots of free resources to support teachers with that and I think I think again you know you talked about when when we first qualified as teachers it, it seems like we've come on so far to what was originally there you know I remember was it primary resources um, <laughs> that website and 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 TES and that was literally that that's what that was the only thing that was there to support us really whereas now there is such a wealth of really high quality resources and and lots of them you know kind of really linked together nicely in terms of that teaching for mastery mm -hmm. uh, and they're free aren't they you know which is absolutely great for teachers mm -hmm. but I think it's about yeah what are they looking for so well-known schemes that support you with that day-to-day -day planning um, mm -hmm. there's other websites which would maybe go into subject knowledge and really drill down into a particular topic or concept so you know if you're new to teaching or you're new to a year group or you know actually you just want to brush up on your own subject knowledge there's resources available that will support you with that um, mm -hmm. if you're looking at developing problem solving and and that following a line of inquiry um, again you know really I don't know if I'm I don't know what I'm allowed to mention what I'm not allowed to mention but really well-known website which would support you with with that so actually if that is an area that you're struggling or you're not quite sure what that could look like and um, you know there's those things and then I think you know other other resources which are a bit more generic but still support you in terms of mathematics mm -hmm. if you think about the work of the EAS for example so yeah. if you're new to leading maths or you're trying to get your head around what does really good mathematics look like and what does the evidence say I would always encourage maths leaders to to look at um you know what the EAF suggests and then there's other non-statutory guidance that the DfE provide mm -hmm. the, the the document I keep coming back to time and time again is that ready to progress document and how that can be used mm -hmm. um but I think having said all of that and this might be, you know, a question that you're going to ask, or I'll delve a bit deeper into John. It, yeah. It's quite overwhelming how many great resources are out there. Um, mm. And I think I saw a recent teacher tap that mentioned, you know, teachers can spend between one and three hours looking looking at resources. And, you know, yeah. is that because there's too much out there? I suppose I don't, I don't know. 
I suppose in a way that's um one of my follow-up questions, Kate, was going to be about the challenges of 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 kind of with with the over um I don't know, there's kind of too many in a way. Um so how one of the challenges, one of the drawbacks, I suppose, is what you're saying is um how do teachers actually choose the resource that they want to use to match their their intention in their classrooms? Um based on kind of your conversations with some of the um some of your colleagues that you work with, Kate, um, what do you think kind of the, the biggest drawback um is and, and kind of what conversations are you having with people where people say, Yeah, that that's great and we would love to do that. And then it's always followed with a but. And what do you think the real issues there are? Yeah, I think I think if you particularly think about like teaching for mastery and, you know, there's approved textbook schemes and there's other really well-known schemes of learning that, that teach, you know, teach, a lot of teachers that I work with tend to, to use one or the other of those. And mm-hmm. I think with that, you really need to invest in, in your staff and have that constant collaboration and that CPD opportunity. Those those schemes and those textbooks are absolutely amazing. There's no no disputing that. But I think, and this comes down to time, which is always a barrier, isn't it? But I think when we get the best out of teachers is when they can really engage with those with those resources and have the opportunity to unpick the mathematics within those resources and be able to collaborate you know we we saw that in Shanghai didn't we that actually the best Mm -hmm. lessons and the best knowledge comes from really discussing what what's being taught and how you're using what you're using to teach what you want to teach really. Yeah and um, you know when when we went to Shanghai Kate we kind of we we saw some expertly put together maths lessons and you know I came back and I think we both came back thinking <laughs> we kind of we want to replicate that and I, I just you know I, I've, I've never been able to match kind of their quality of, of, of maths lesson um, and I think I'd agree with you time and kind of an overcrowded curriculum are one of the things which um, which can really hold back but you touched on there some really well um, known schemes um, have thought very carefully about how um, the curriculum's kind of put together and connected. And in some cases, you could be teaching addition and subtraction, but actually that links somehow to statistics or geometry or calculate the perimeter in area. So I think being really careful about curriculum design can go um, quite a long way. Now, now I've said that, I don't know if that's a positive thing or if that's one of the challenges. It's probably, to be honest, it's probably um, a bit of both. Um <laughs> With, with with that in mind, and just thinking about kind of um, your current role at the minute, uh, Kate, mm-hmm. um, it was in the news recently, and it was kind of unavoidable um, in a way that lots of children really struggled I mean, in their SATs, particularly with the reading. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've had a look at the maths ones, and I administered uh, some of the maths one. And the reasoning paper two, a lot of children were telling me when we could discuss it on Monday when they were released, that actually they found them really, um, really challenging. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about kind of why do you think children, we've got teaching for mastery in school and, you know, in some schools it's really well embedded. Why do some children then still really struggle with mathematics? I think, you know, we can't ignore the impact of, of COVID and the pandemic and, you know, the amount of lost learning 
um, or home learning that that occurred and you know we know that actually children in classrooms is the best possible you know kind of start in terms of providing those positive outcomes that we want so I think you know if we think about those year six children they've had a really turbulent key stage too in that sense in terms of COVID Um, and I think having said that you know teachers have worked really hard to address those gaps and you know have absolutely kind of soldiered on and, and done the absolute best that they possibly can but it's just really hard to make up that time that time isn't it you know and if you think about what children learn in year three and year four a lot of what what SATS is assessing in year six links back to that year three and that year four and that year five curriculum so I think that's obviously you know one of the things that that stands out and I also think you know I I, I looked briefly at the the SATS papers but I do need to look at them in more detail I think what stands out for, for me was there's some really unusual questions in terms of how they're presented and I think you know in a teaching for mastery context we would say that they're a non-standard representation and I think there's a lot more work that we can do to upskill teachers in in what that could look like in their day-to-day lessons Um, Mm. I think that's probably an area that would improve how children respond to SATs and I think you know frustratingly that happens in May doesn't it and there's you know I always think there's two more months worth of teaching that can quite often be be lost because of SATs in May so I think that's also a a challenge or frustration that teachers would face. Um, Uh, You mentioned there about kind of upskilling teachers Um, what would that look like and how could that be done uh, do you think given all of the pressures and constraints on schools? Yeah, there's no magic wand in that in that sense, is there? Unfortunately, and um, I think you know it is trying to be done through the teaching for mastery program and and that collaboration between schools and you know within local maths hubs. I think I think that is trying to be done, um, and I think again, you know, the resources that are out there really provide opportunities for teachers to see examples of what that might look like, um, mm-hmm. and I think. I think also, you know, I looked at one of the questions and I read an analysis on one of the questions and, you know, it said children need to be able to do this, this and this. And there's about maybe eight points that children needed to be able to do to answer the question. And I'm not disputing that as a point that was made. I, I do agree. But I actually just looked at the question and I could see it. And I think I don't I don't want that to sound like, you know, big headed or but I think teaching for mastery actually like starts to train your brain in a way that you can see the maths without getting bogged down in a series of procedures or in a series of well I must know this and I must know this and I must connect it all because actually it just come it it just it's almost like that light bulb moment isn't it um yeah I think I think you're right and you know a lot a lot of schools that I um, have worked with a lot of colleagues that I've worked with a kind of um, they get hung up on every lesson has to have some kind of manipulative um, or some kind of uh, something physical in the class and that you know absolutely it's one of the hallmarks of teaching for mastery and um, of really effective teaching and learning but actually what I think what we've got to remember is the ultimate aim of teaching for mastery is to not actually use any of the equipment or any of the <laughs> Mathematical manipulatives and I think and I don't know about your experience Kate but I think for me that sometimes gets a little bit lost yeah absolutely I think 
it, you know, it, it, it's almost like that that tick box, isn't it? That if I've got manipulatives, I'm doing teaching for mastery. And I think it's that really careful choice of what manipulative or what representation am I going to use for children to be able to see the structure of the mathematics or to understand the mathematics and not, you know, not do the mathematics. Um, I remember quite a few years ago, I was working with a school, maybe going off topic a little bit, but it is linked. Um, mm-hmm. And children were doing short division and they were using um, place value counters to, to, you know, to help them. And the kind the, the place value counters were all muddled up. So it were, it wasn't as if they were even using hundreds in the hundred column you know they were just placing these place they were just placing these place value column counters in a column and they knew they had to exchange but but they didn't really understand what was going on and it was kind of a really standout moment that that this teacher knew that manipulatives were a good thing but they were being used in a really procedural way so actually it made no difference to children just being taught a procedure if that makes sense yeah and and do you think that comes from a place of subject knowledge or maybe she's um he or she has sat in some training that said you need to have manipulatives out and it kind of becomes one of those things that becomes a bit of a tick box perhaps yeah absolutely and i think you know there's been a real investment in schools in terms of providing manipulatives and and you know lots of discussion around using them and i think it it just needs that 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 extra cpd doesn't it as to why are you using them and and what does that mean in the context for teaching for mastery and i go back to shanghai again you know actually we saw very little manipulatives being used but actually yeah. we saw really careful representations being used and that was the key wasn't it yeah and it always for me it always came back to revealing the structure mm-hmm. of maths concepts that was being taught you know it wasn't just oh well i need to use i'm going to use a bar model because that's that's what i've been told to do it was really carefully um thought out and i think you know what i was touching on earlier is yes we would love to replicate that perhaps in this country and have that kind of approach but in a packed curriculum where primary school teachers in particular um are teaching upwards of 25 lessons a week it's really hard to set aside kind of the 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 time the focus to think why is it that I'm, I'm teaching this and the way in which I'm going to teach it and I guess that's why that's the power like you say Kate, of some really um some really well thought out and well-known schemes that are, are kind of out there but even with that you know um teachers need to be discerning and make their own choices and have a real kind of rationale I suppose as to why they're teaching things um in a in a particular way um absolutely. okay sorry go on kate no i just said absolutely i was just yeah <laughs> yeah sure um okay i'm just going to read out a, a little note from the sponsor and then we'll then um, we'll jump straight in uh so this program is brought to you by the happy confident company a clinically approved ready to go well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day You'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, you can visit them at www.happyconfident.com. So um, I'm with uh, Kate Henschel and we're talking all things kind of math, teaching for March Street Night 
And um, we've just been talking about some of the issues kind of facing maths education um, and some some really useful things from Kate there that um, she's had experience in uh, and some of the some of the challenges as well uh, to do with teaching maths. Um, so, Kate, in an ideal world, I want you to imagine you're kind of the new education secretary. You've got full control over maths. Um, what's the first thing that you, you do on day one to improve maths in England? Now, that's a huge question. But you've got three seconds to think of an answer. <laughs> I think I think there's already a lot of great things going on. I think yeah. it is really hard. It's really easy, isn't it, to get bogged down sometimes as teachers in, in the negativity. I think, you know, retention, pay rises etc etc we won't delve into that um, tonight mm -hmm. and I think I think I would continue to invest in the maths hub program um because I think that brings great free CPD to teachers and you know we've again I go back to when I first qualified apart from your local authority network meeting there was absolutely nothing that kind of rivaled that level of support that was free for schools so I would, you know, thankfully there is continued investment into that program, so that's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think then also what I would love to do, you know, and you've touched a lot on it. You keep saying a packed curriculum, and I feel like you're possibly reading my mind a little bit, John. But I would really love to look at the curriculum, and I think you know, really kind of rewrite it in a way. I suppose I think there's a lot that's expected of children in Key Stage One, and I think you know sats in year two even though that's going to change next year and you know moderation and task statements I don't think that particularly helps teachers to cover the curriculum in key stage one well because there's those outside pressures which can quite often encourage teachers to move through the curriculum at pace rather than really focusing on what the children need so I would absolutely strip back that curriculum in particularly in key stage one and then really think about key stage two and and that overlap to key stage three you know we do quite a lot of work with well I've worked with key stage three practitioners and I think they can't quite believe sometimes that overlap between key stage two and key stage three so yeah I think that's wouldn't be done on day one definitely but you know it'd take, it'd take quite a while wouldn't it but I would definitely look at that <laughs> yeah thank you I think um I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting point about kind of the expectations in year six and then the expectations in year seven around the curriculum. Um, but just kind of rewinding a little bit to kind of before you become a, an early career teacher, what would your thoughts on kind of improvements for teacher training, universities, skits, and what do you think could be done to bridge the gap even further to improve um, kind of the way in which maths is taught in that way? Yeah, I think I would love for, for trainee teachers to spend, particular, you know, I did a PGCE and I think some people might have had a better experience than I did, but I don't think it definitely, I don't think it prepared me enough for that day, that day one, you know, with my first ever class. Um, and I don't think it provided me with the subject knowledge that I needed. Um, so I think looking at those pathways to becoming a teacher and how how do they really support, particularly primary schools where we are a jack of all trades and we don't necessarily focus in on one subject, wh what is going on to develop teachers? Not just their subject knowledge and not just their pedagogical knowledge, but that pedagogical content knowledge, knowing how 
you can actually be the best maths teacher like what is the best way to teach this particular concept um, or likewise you know how is that different to teaching a concept in science for example so I think there's definitely more that could be done at that level on really focusing on how best to teach a particular concept not just how to teach if that makes sense yeah you've just reminded me there speaking of science the the links between and I'm looking for some top tips really here Kate um, <laughs> the, the link between the well Ofsted had published um, a report and I remember reading in the report about the links between um, maths and science. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you've had any kind of thoughts as to what that might look like, how far you might be down the line with your thinking or discussions. You may well have not given it much thought um, at all, but I'm just um, I'm just interested in kind of what you what you're thinking is around that. Yeah, I think there's definitely a clear link, isn't there, between the two subjects. And I think I've not definitely not had that much time to think about that question in particular. But I think it's that it's that curriculum again, isn't it? You know, how is what we're learning in mathematics going to support us with the skills that we also need in in science? So are we mm -hmm. learning things in science that we haven't yet? learn foundational skills in maths that would support us through that so I think that that really clear or that better alignment between what's going on in maths and what's going on in science I think that would you know really kind of transform transform the two um and making those those clear links like you said really I think one, one of the challenges um with that Kate would be kind of you know, you know, I'd be interested in your thoughts around this, but would it not be kind of the sequencing because you wouldn't want to teach something in science and assume that children can do a scattergraph or, you know, a bar chart if it hasn't been formally taught in maths? Absolutely. And I think it's making that really clear, isn't it? You know, quite a lot of analysis that's done in science or the way that we might present our findings to investigations does heavily rely on those, or, you know, how we might measure things does heavily rely on those mathematical skills and I think sometimes it we might not be clear on that alignment of have they have children actually learned this yet in maths um yeah and I think that needs to be made really clear to support teachers yeah yeah it's quite a lot to think about isn't it and just kind of I, I guess um, I mean I work in a small school and um, a couple of weeks ago I was talking to a head teacher um, on the show who was head teacher of, of a, a small school and she said one of the, the more challenging things is you know she this person was on board with teaching for mastery she um, had put quite a lot of time and effort into trying to develop the staff but one of the drawbacks was getting teachers to work together um, and and you know finding time to, to release them and and uh, you know schools are, are very busy quite complicated places to to, to to remain operational at the best of times particularly at the moment um, but it, yeah I think you're right I think it's about careful sequencing and making those links and making those connections um, and unfortunately we don't have a magic wand in which to, to do that um, all right um, thanks Kate the, the next kind of thing I'm going to kind of refocus this back into just purely maths and I think this will this will be kind of a a question we spoke about kind of the curriculum at large and then we've brought it right down uh, to you know what effective teaching and learning looks like pedagogy um, and now um, I'd be interested in your thinking Kate around what you think the benefits of teaching for mastery as an approach are 
Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think for me, it's having that focus on making sure children are really secure with a, with a particular concept or their understanding before moving on and, and not being afraid to really go you know, into depth about a concept and make sure that children have that deep knowledge that is going to be sustained before moving them on too quickly. Um, I think, you know, again, we, we've talked a lot about curriculum and, and teachers feeling like they have to cover that curriculum and they have to rush through it. But I would always say, actually, you know, focus on that depth of knowledge rather than speeding through. Um, you know, I think Debbie Morgan always talks about, you know, um, kind of slowing it down because that will end up, you know, children will end up understanding it much better. And I think there's, there's some merit with that kind of thought, really. Um, I think also for me, you know, teaching for mastery is, it, it, it's almost kind of simple almost and that simplicity really supports children to have that clarity of understanding it's you know you're exploring a concept in a lot of detail which then makes it really easy to understand I don't I don't know whether you would agree with that John yeah I, th I think there, there's it's it's both very complicated and very simple all at the same time <laughs> yeah and I think you know, my experiences of it is that it it really does support all learners and it's about kind of removing those barriers or actually, you know, that belief that actually all children can achieve and, and you know, will have the opportunity to. So I've only ever experienced positive things with, with a teaching for mastery approach. Mm -hmm. I think this... And just for the... Sorry, go ahead. No, yeah. I'm just going to ask, just, just for those listening, Kate, or those who kind of download uh, the podcast and things, um, kind of, would you be able to go into um, what Teaching for Mastery actually is, the, the, the five principles of Teaching for Mastery? Because some of the listeners may well um, not teach in England, for example. It could be that, they, you know, um, Tom had mentioned someone's in from uh, Madrid. Um, just kind of what is Teaching for Mastery? What does it look like? We um, also, have, we also weirdly have a lot of listeners in Iran and um, <laughs> India and um, also um, Sweden. So welcome to everyone from those countries if you happen to be listening back to this. Okay. We no <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, Kate. So the question was around kind of what, um, it, in terms of teaching for mastery, what, um, what does it mean? What does it kind of um, look like? What are the principles behind it? Yes, there's definitely different um, interpretations or explanations. But I think for me, I would come back to those five principles that you know we see through the NCTM and the Maths Hub program, um, so really thinking about coherence running throughout. So that ability to have small, like small pedagogical steps, or breaking concepts down into smaller steps, so that children can really understand it. Um, and when we're talking about coherence, that you know it might be across a series of lessons, it might be across a unit of work, it might be within a lesson, it might even be one aspect of a lesson. So it's not just thinking about a coherent curriculum, it's, you know, really thinking about that concept and how you're teaching that coherently. Mm -hmm. Then I think you've got representation and structure. We've talked quite a bit about representations and structures, but that careful choice, you know, how is the maths being represented and what structure of maths am I trying to uncover or are children trying to understand? 
Um, and I think that's a real big one, isn't it? That that understanding of representation and structure. Um, and I suppose links to, you know, concrete pictorial abstract approach that that's quite familiar to a lot of teachers but it's not just not just that um I think quite often language gets missed out as a representation and I'm quite passionate about mathematical language um, mm. and then you've got mathematical um, thinking so making those connections and being able to reason and, and spot patterns and you know make those generalizations we touched on that earlier then fluency, we, we've talked a little bit about that. So not just seeing fluency as being able to recall facts, but having that flexibility, um, and you know knowing when you're going to when you're going to choose a particular method, um, so you're not just relying on one method, um, you know, yes. Yeah, so I think there's more to fluency than just what meets the eye sometimes. And then finally, variation, which we talk about conceptual variation and procedural variation, and I think teachers can get quite bogged down in those two things but ultimately I think you know how are you representing the mathematics are you showing it in different ways we talked earlier about seeing maths in non-standard ways so not just seeing it in a way that's quite familiar but also looking at it in a non-standard way um, and thinking about those examples and those non-examples I think when I was first introduced to to that aspect of teaching for mastery the use of non-examples was a real eye-opener for me and I think actually it's one of the things that really supports children to understand the actual example that you want them to understand um so that's I suppose that's kind of in a snapshot I'm, I'm not sure I've done it justice there um John I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add really yeah I, I think you've covered the basics um of kind of what teaching for mastery is for those that mightn't be familiar with it um you meant you did touch on something back here that i would like to pick up on and you mentioned about mathematical vocabulary and language and it's kind of something that you're really interested in i've obviously been to a, a, quite a few of um your conferences where you've spoke around this um, and I'm just wondering kind of in your opinion and with your expertise what do you think the best way for teachers to teach math, math vocabulary is? Oh, yeah that's a, re <laughs> that's a really good question I think there's a lot for me there's a lot of steps that would need in place or, or things that you need to do to, to build up to to children maybe generalizing and using that that mathematical language I think you need that awareness of what what math language you're going to use and why you're going to use it um so having the confidence to to use that precise language um initially um and I think making those decisions you know we talk about you know in teaching for mastery add end and add end equals sum and for some teachers that's really that's really new and they might have a bit of an anxiety towards that and I think it's about knowing what you want to do in your lesson and what's appropriate for your children um but I think also not being scared to use that language we, we see it all the time in in other lessons you know science I always go back to this uh, this example in science if we're talking about translucent opaque and um transparent we, you know we wouldn't let the children say see through a little bit see through and not see through we would expect them to use those precise language so I think it's about knowing what words you want the children to use in those maths lessons and I think not being afraid to to model that or correct that um, I've been in quite a few lessons this week actually and I've heard things like top number, bottom number, big hand, little hand. And it's so easy to fall into that trap because 
we want to help children we want to make it easy and accessible but mm-hmm. I think don't be afraid to follow that up with what those words actually mean mathematically and then I think you know giving children um frames for talking and frames for thinking so thinking about those first of all those sentence openers so that children start to speak in full sentences and then moving that into stem sentences where you know they become more mathematical and and are there really kind of to support children to understand a mathematical concept mm-hmm. and then ultimately hopefully um, allow children to build up to to generalizing mathematically brilliant um for those that are not familiar Kay, could you just talk around what a stem sentence is what it uses yeah so um i think for me a stem sentence would be used in the, in the math lesson um to kind of help understand a mathematical concept so if you're thinking about how many um tens are in a hundred you would have you know there are mm, tens in 100 and children would fill in the blanks and then maybe to maybe use that to in another context or kind of change some of the words if the concept changed slightly um so that's that would be my yeah that would be my very quick off the cuff definition ah but i think i think one of the things that struck me there kate about vocabulary and it made me really think of um I, I teach in year six at the moment. It made me really think of children when they kind of are presented with um, a, a question on the SATs paper or any kind of assessment. Um, one one of the children put their hands up and said, um, oh, Mr. B, it's asking for the product. What's that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm quite... Um, I'm quite um, up on kind of using the the key vocabulary and things like that and being really precise uh, with the children. But even then, if it's not embedded across the the whole school, it can become quite lost, you know, because children very quickly learn that, oh, well, it's just the answer. But I think you're right. I think it is about being really specific and trying to use it in lots of different ways, like you say, Kate. yeah, thank you. Um, I think there's there's lots there to really think about with um, the teaching for mastery approach, loads of advantages. Um, and I think I've, I've recently heard someone, Kate, and I don't know if you agree with this, that vocabulary is kind of the, the hidden principle behind um, everything. It links in with the coherence, the representation and structure, fluency, variation theory, and the ability to think mathematically. Um, you can't do any of those really without using the correct mathematical vocabulary. So I think it is um, a, a really good uh, point in which to pick up on. Um, just um, we've got maybe uh, 20 minutes or so left. I'm just going to quickly uh, kind of work through the, the next part. We're going to talk about kind of how we're going to touch on parents, how they can support. But before we do, just a quick message from our sponsor. So this program is brought to you by the Happy Confident Company. They're clinically approved, ready to go, well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes. You'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, you can visit them at www.happyconfident.com. All right. Thank you, Kate. Um, I'm just about to kind of touch on, we spoke about teaching for mastery and kind of um, what it is, what it looks like um, and how teachers can kind of um, get the most out of it. One of the things you touched on Shanghai earlier, one of the things that struck me when I went to Shanghai is they use the same curriculum, which 
uh, in schools that perhaps parents of the children in that room would have had a very similar, if not the same curriculum. Obviously, we know that isn't um, something which is uh, the same in in our uh, education system in England. Um, and I'm just wondering uh, what your thoughts are on some of the things that parents might be able to do to support children. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's really tricky for some parents, isn't it? Because they learned maths in a different way or, you know, they might have been taught completely different to how our children are taught at the moment. I think quite often some of the parents that, that I've encountered have a real anxiety towards mathematics and, you know, again, it's come up recently in, in the news and from the government, isn't it, that, you know, parents sometimes don't, don't feel afraid of saying that they didn't like maths or they weren't good at maths, but, we, you know, we wouldn't hear that about reading or writing necessarily. So I think for some parents it's it's really hard maybe to admit that they've got a bit of an anxiety or they struggle with maths. I think there's lots of things out there that would support parents. Um, you know, we've talked about really well-known schemes. Um, the, the one I'm particularly thinking of as a whole section on, on their website that's accessible for parents. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a really great starting point. But, you know, go and find out what it is that your children are learning and how they're learning. Don't be afraid to ask school to, to look at how maths is taught. I think for for me, in one of my previous schools that I worked in, and I know this is more what the schools can do rather than what the parents can do, but we really welcomed parents into school. We, you know, we hosted meetings so that we could, we could show parents how the maths was taught. We had regular opportunities for parents to look in, in books. And I think that really helped and kind of alleviated the myth around how maths is taught. Um, so anything that, that like that, that parents can get involved with, I think I would definitely recommend. Um, absolutely. I think you're right. I think with parents, Kate, they can quite often, the maths anxiety kind of trickles down and into them and it kind of, it almost can feel hereditary at some point, you know. Um, Their parents um, weren't very good at maths, therefore the assumption that parents can make is that they're not going to be very good at maths. I've certainly came across that a few times. Um, I'm kind of wondering, you touched on there about maths anxiety, so flipping that on its head, we spoke about what parents can possibly do what can schools do in terms of supporting children who quite clearly have maths anxiety and uh, feel really nervous about um attempting math and this might tie in actually with what you were saying about teaching for mastery yeah i think um a lot of a lot of the work that i do is you know linked to like the maths hub is we look at that growth mindset and, and mathematical mindsets and really unpick what that actually means um and i think there's lots of things that can happen without necessarily realizing that might maybe reinforce anxiety or might kind of encourage encourage children to have a fear of math so if you think about you know the big one testing and assessment you know how what happens in a school that might kind of increase that anxiety so you know if children are being tested on a sub on something that they haven't yet learned what impact could that have and what messages go alongside that you know is it that there's there's no discussion and you know children are presented with a test and they kind of just have to do it in silence and they're faced with questions that are completely unfamiliar or is it you know we're going to do a test and it's okay like this is to help me learn what you know so I think the messages around testing is is a really big thing that I would look at Mm -hmm. 
also I, I, again I, I reflect on my own practice I, I remember when I was teaching in the northeast I had a year three class and I had a real weirdly and, and I'm not saying this is always the case I had a group of girls that just really did not want to take part in maths lessons and I think it, it's easy as a teacher to ask the children that are in that are more engaged or more eager or have their hands up and for me we did a whole you know chunk of work on actually I want to hear what you're thinking and it might not be a full answer it might not be the right answer it might just be a bit of an instinct um, and you genuinely might not know and all of those things are okay but I don't know unless unless you share that with me and I think you know by the end of the year those kind of group of girls really turned it round and and other things that I've noticed as well you know is those those children that have those coping strategies so you know if you're doing whiteboard work they'll be looking at somebody else's or and then maybe copying it down so that they kind of learning the behaviors that that they need to do to survive and go under the radar but it's really looking out for those as a teacher and thinking how can I address that or how can I support that child you know to avoid that really um yeah and I think I think the praise that goes alongside that, you know, are we looking for children that are giving the right answers? Are we looking for children that are kind of persevering and, and working things out and giving it a go? Yeah, and uh, I think it's obviously we, we could probably spend a full hour, hour and a half talking <laughs> just about maths anxiety, really, and different approaches and ways in which um, it can be addressed and strategies. But really, I think what, what you might be getting at their kit is it's about a culture and embedding a, a real culture of acceptance of mistakes and in many ways um that's that's bigger than maths that's a whole kind of school issue but it's possibly even bigger than that it's a societal issue and kind of trying to get your your head around kind of like you say that maths isn't um just for boys or, you know, and, and English is for girls because, you know, there's that gender debate as well around maths. And once you start to unpick this, I, I guess I'm always left with more questions than perhaps um, perhaps answers. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you asked earlier about about parents and, and I think link, linked to that, I think, you know, when and it's slightly different now, I suppose, because we've got the digital age and, and there's more things that children do digitally. But, you know, for me growing up, we would regularly play a board game, um, you know, most weeks. Or I would play cards with my grandma, my granddad. And it was that real kind of those skills that were developed through that. So being able to take turns, being able to make a mistake or not win the game or, you know, be the last one and, and I think some of those skills really kind of transpire into maths that actually you need to know about turn taking. You need to know about, you know, thinking about the best way that you could win, for example, um, and that kind of out of the box thinking or knowing that it's OK to make a mistake or actually this time you might not have won that round, but you might win it next time. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from 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 those games that we would have played younger and maybe not all children have the opportunity as much because of you know other entertainment through digital digital devices for example yeah so it's, it's a good point i think um 
perhaps it's something that schools could try and build into their curriculum around using the use of board games and all of those transferable skills, like you're saying. And that's, that's I suppose, what I'm getting at. In, in a way, it's bigger than just maths. It's a whole kind of... Um, a real cultural shift. Of course, we still want children to have the digital skills, but we also want them to have, I suppose, I'm going to make myself sound really old now, Kate, but the traditional skills of yeah. <laughs> turn-taking and being able to to engage with someone and, and, and really reason with someone. And I think, you know, with the rise of uh, artificial intelligence, it's kind of where does that fit in the the huge picture of of kind of the world and then the curriculum and what actually happens in classrooms. Um, so it's it's a huge thing, I think, when you start and unpick kind of maths anxiety. And I think it's it's one of those subjects, I think you're right, Kate, it's one of those subjects that runs really deep with people. Um, yeah. And, you know, you, you say to someone, you, can, you might talk about a, another curriculum area, but as soon as you start talking about maths, you know, you're dead on. If people have had problems when they were younger um, with maths or kind of anxieties, they're very quick to tell you um, and and kind of want no further involvement in it. Um, and, and I, you know, what the, the good work that you're doing um will be will be changing hearts and changing minds i'm, I'm sure yeah uh, with with that in mind kate i'm just wondering you mentioned about the eef um earlier and obviously the research that comes um comes along that and i'm i'm wondering kind of just from from your work the research which um they published or any other research that you referred to what do you think um how do you think teachers can kind of digest that research and what does that actually mean for day-to-day um, -day practice in the classroom? Yeah, so I think there's lots of things out there that support teachers to digest the research, the research isn't there? You know, they can get involved with the maths hub, they can get involved with the research school, they can attend, you know, research events. You know, there's lots of things that happen where there's, real life teachers talking about how they're using research in their practice and again I think that's been a real shift particularly when I first started teaching there was nothing there was nothing like that really to support you you know you you would have an academic paper and that was pretty much that's what you were left with so you were then left to kind of interpret that and engage whether it was reliable or not or you know whereas now there's so much more tangible research that you can easily engage with I think what I would suggest is to not be overwhelmed again you know there's more things out there but does that make it more overwhelming and I think you know you talked there or I did as well about the EEF and you know some of the research linked to the maths the, the guidance reports they are quite overwhelming but I think keep coming back to it or you know I've talked to maths leaders about this and think you know what what's your action plan or what are your priorities for this year and then how does that maybe link to the guidance or the recommendations and you know don't get bogged down in thinking that you have to do all of those things or change everything at once maybe just look at one thing and look at it well um and, and spend time to understand it so I think yeah don't be a don't think that you know Rome wasn't built in a day so don't think that everything needs to be changed in that sense um but I also think for for quite a lot of maths leaders particularly in primary they don't necessarily have that time to engage with with you know quite detailed reports so be brave and ask for that time 
Um, because otherwise, how how can you improve your subject? How can you keep up to date with with the most recent advice or the most recent guidance or the most recent recommendations? So I think, yeah, be brave in terms of asking for a bit of time and 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 state what 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 you're going to do with that time you know actually I want to look at this because I want to do this and this and you know I think that's a really kind of reasonable request from a maths leader I would say yeah I think um it, there's so many ways to do it now like you say with maths hubs and all, you know all kinds of research schools um but the EEF for, for people who are, are not familiar the Education Endowment Foundation can be a really good free starting point um to really get people thinking about some of the strategies and ways in which they can begin to uh, really develop their subject area um and and in a really sort of accessible way you know it doesn't really go into um the methodology it kind of gives you it gives busy teachers the highlights and ways in which you can drive things forward um so yeah i think um i think that's uh, some some really interesting things there to be thinking about in terms of um the next kind of part um kid it links right back to the beginning of when when we started our discussion about kind of if you could you know we talked about if you were education secretary for, for <laughs> what would you do on day one um but I, I want to kind of refocus uh that question just before we finish in the next 10 minutes or so um kind of if you could design your own maths curriculum um what would you do why would you do it what would it look like Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, I would really love to have, like, I don't want to say discovery learning because I feel like people take that out of context. But I think, you know, kind of posing a problem or posing a question, and I suppose it's a bit like teaching from Asway, posing a question to children or posing a problem and, and encouraging them to tackle it, see what they do first, and then be very clear in how, how I would then teach that that concept or how we would unpick any misconceptions and I think a curriculum that would support teachers to do that rather than just a set of objectives which is what we've got isn't it you know we've got an overwhelming amount of objectives mm. actually what does that what does that look like and yeah and I think I think just bring a bit more of that creativity and flexibility back with being able to really explore something in more detail um you know we, we, talk, we talked about problem solving friday and whilst whilst it was awful you know actually having a whole chunk of time to be able to explore something and look at it in in different ways i think was re- is really useful and i think teaching for mastery definitely tries to do that but i think it, it it it's that balance of how much we've got to cover in the curriculum um so yeah i don't know whether that it's just kind of saying things we've already talked about, but that's what I would want. <laughs> yeah, so more kind of inquiry based. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, what are your thoughts around how that might fit with teaching for mastery? Do you feel like it could fit or would it be too too big a jump? No, I think like it, I think it would fit. I think it's just how that looks in terms of a national curriculum. And I think the only way that it would fit is if we really stripped it back like we spoke about at the beginning of of the um the session this evening is yeah stripping back those objectives and and I think providing you know guidance on what that could look like yeah I think um kind of 
for me, if I was designing my curriculum, it would be quite similar to, to your thoughts there, Kate, around, around kind of some lessons you feel um, when you're teaching for mastery, you, you are going in really deep, but kind of a problem-solving approach, I think, might allow for greater um, independence and might actually go somewhere to um, push aside some of the maths anxiety because one of the things that... Um, some might say about teaching for master years, it's a bit too scaffolded for children. It's kind of over teaching them in a way so that they're really secure. And perhaps one way that we could counteract that would be through, I can't believe I'm actually saying these words out loud, but it could be through a Friday problem solving day. <laughs> I kind of gone full circle in my thinking here. Um, perhaps, uh, you know, I suppose it wouldn't always have to be on a Friday and we would have to be mindful that we do actually want problem solving to be woven um, throughout every lesson that we do with reasoning, with fluency and it not to become, you know, on Friday we do problem solving. I guess that's, I guess that would be the danger. No, I completely agree. And I think, you know, again, going back to our curriculum, it talks about, you know, routine problem solving and non-routine problem problems. And I think, I think we don't do enough of non-routine problems where we're really kind of developing children's reasoning power or, you know, promoting that resilience within them. And, you know, actually, if you think about some of the world's most famous mathematicians or scientists, they were those non-routine problem solvers, weren't they? They were finding the answers that we needed to find. You know, you think about people like Edison, you know, he kept trying and he kept trying and one day it just worked for him in terms of the light bulb. So I think that that's what I would love maths to look like and and maybe that links to the question you, you said earlier about the link between science and mathematics I think how can we make more kind of creative thinkers problem solvers engineers inventors I suppose through through maths thank you um I think just to to finish off um and I know this is something that you've been um, working on quite recently um, from your social media. Um, and I'm just wondering, uh, kind of just to finish, what what's the best way that teachers can, um, just to, you know, there's no kind of segue into it. It's not linked to anything that we've just said. But what's the best way to kind of teach um, multiplication facts for children? I'm just mindful that the, um, the multiplication times table check is looming yeah really interesting question so this is one of the things i've been exploring with a group of schools that i've been working with um through our local maths hub um and there's kind of two schools of thought really from what from what we've looked at you know somebody out there might might prove me wrong and i'm, I'm definitely open to to people challenging me or providing me with with new things that i've not yet discovered so is it that we just teach children to kind of learn the facts rotely and kind of recite them um or do we have that real focus on connections and you know if you know three times four how can you use that to work out four times four for example maybe a, a bad example there but just thinking off the top of my head and I think there's definitely arguments for both that you need children to make those connections um but I think a, quite a bit of the the research or a bit of the things that we've looked into is that you know that chanting and that 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 kind of verbal chant really supports children to learn times table facts um, mm -hmm. and I think if you ask a lot of us how we learned facts then 
you know, it was through chanting or it was through singing. Um, so we've been doing a lot of kind of work on on that and looking at a lot of what Claire Christie promotes in terms of how she teaches times tables. Um, I think I think actually she's developing a program to support teachers with that. So it's about really looking at that clear progression. So which times tables are we introducing? Looking at stripping that down. If you think about we have to learn up to 12 times 12, but actually there's probably 36 key facts. Um, the ready to progress criteria has a really nice a really nice kind of diagram which highlights those 36 key facts and then once you've got that highlighted it's really obvious that because of other things like commutativity we don't you know if we know two times three we know three times two for example yeah and again you know looking at things that are really obvious like the one times table the ten times table um you know the, there's a they've got just really clear rules or clear patterns um so then that allows us to focus really on the two the two times table right up to the nine times table and then one of the big things that we've been looking at is that chance sequence and saying the larger number first so seven twos are 14 and it just just rolls off your tongue um and encouraging encouraging children not to like use their fingers or get bogged down with counting but actually to just be able to recite it and that verbal chanting and repetition supports with that recall so that's one of the ways we've been looking at and, and seeing if it actually works or not. So, yeah. Some really interesting um, thoughts, insights um, there, Kate. Um, it's been wonderful to talk with you tonight. Thank you ever so much for joining us. And I know um, all of the listeners would have taken um, so much away from tonight. And if they're anything like me, they've possibly mm -hmm. got questions <laughs> buzzing around their heads now but that's the beauty of kind of having these conversations and really think in depth about what it is um that we want for the children in our schools and what we want actually for the educators in our schools as well um any final thoughts um anything you feel like you would like to share with um everyone kate I think it's just been a real pleasure to talk all things maths. You know, I am very passionate about the subject and I always welcome other people's thoughts, reflections, challenges, or, you know, it's great to hear what people are working on. And I think, you know, for me, I'm, I, I like to think that I'm somebody that's constantly learning. So, you know, if there are things that I've said and people disagree with, feel free to come, come forward. Or if there are things that, that have stood out and you do agree with, likewise, it's really nice. So, yeah, always welcome to hear what other people think and what they're working on because that that's how we grow as a community of maths teachers really well once again it's been a, a real genuine pleasure to speak with you kid it's so lovely to hear your voice and to hear all of the fantastic things that you've been up to um thank you to everyone who has listened this evening um or if you're listening uh, at a later time um i hope that you've had some perhaps some answers and some things uh, to think about uh, you can join us again at teacher talk radio in two weeks time the late show uh, with john b and um, we look forward to seeing you all again on the 6th of June. Thanks ever so much, Kate. Take care. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.